All right, friends, you know it. This is another amazing episode that's going to cover a cycling race event. Now, somebody recommended this to me. Thank you, Michelle, for putting this in my ear. This is this is this episode is about the transcontinental and the Trans Pyrenees races across. Well, the transcontinental is across the uh, the U. No, it's across Europe. Okay, so literally from one end to the other, it's four thousand kilometers. It takes event uh, participants two weeks to a month to finish, and the details are ridiculously crazy and exciting so you have to listen to this one and if you're going to participate oh my gosh please reach out and let the podcast know because I would love to hear about it and would love to interview you as a participant now don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another amazing episode and follow myself and the podcast on Instagram. So that's uh, Secrets from the Saddle Podcast and Sylvie underscore cyclist. And you have yourself an amazing listen and rock your day. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle Podcast. I'm Sylvie Dow, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle All Things Cycling Podcast with your host, Sylvie Daou. And we have Anne Haslock, who is sitting in Wales, the UK, London. Um, I'm just going to say you're uh, UK. And I'm sitting in here, well, as you guys know, Chelsea Quebec uh Canada and today we are going to be talking about two of the most epic cycling races that I have come across yet um the transcontinental and the trans pyrenees so the transcontinental so first Anne is the director of lost dot which is the organization that um started these uh, events. She, she's going to tell us more about that and the race director for both events. So both events. Um, so the transcontinental, she was just telling me is 4,000 kilometers. Okay. And I was just saying, I don't even think I cycle 4,000 in a season. I can't even imagine doing it in 10 days to a month, but so here's the transcontinental. It's a totally self-supported race across Europe. Now I was looking at the pictures and I think it would just be epic to bike that for the scenery alone. Um, so you go from the cobbles of Flanders to the shores of the Black Sea via the rock, 
tunnels, the bald mountain tops, navigating pristine asphalt and rock strewn tracks. The transcontinental was once is once again across is going across Europe in his own unique style. So now that's the first one. And then we're going to talk about the Trans Pyrenees, which is a little shorter. However, I'm sure the elevation makes up in <laughs> the distance, but as you know, it's in the Pyrenees. So you have lots of elevation that's 1500 uh, kilometers. So that's in September and the transcontinental is in July. So welcome, Anne. I have so many questions for you. Now, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. All right. So I always like to start before we get into the details of these events. How did you get into cycling and how did you, because you had a partner in crime, Mike Hall, and uh, I was just reading your bio and I interviewed uh, Rupert Guinness, who is, I believe, in that same event in Australia, um, where he had his um, his accident. And I was just like, I'm like, oh my God, I think like that was the same one. Um, so, yeah, the Indian Pacific Wheel Race. Yeah. And so anyway, so she had her uh, partner in crime pass during that event in a, in a tragic car crash. But so we're going to, I'm going to have to ask you like later on um, how you doing it all on your own, but how did you get into cycling? Well, um, I have always cycled, you know, as a form of transport. I've always enjoyed, you know, I've always used my bike for um, getting to work or going to the shops and uh, I enjoyed riding my bike but I never really even thought about sort of sport cycling before I met Mike. Um, I met Mike through some friends. Um, <laughs> actually, um, in 2012 he, he um, was part of an inaugural event called the World, I think it was called the World Cycle Race um, it was the first year it was held and it was quite a small number of cyclists racing each other around the entire world. Um, oh my God. <laughs> uh, they were also um, going for the world record as well. So the Guinness World Record. So they were going for that okay. as well, um, the unsupported world record. Um, so Mike was winning that. Uh, Mike did win that race and uh, technically didn't get the Guinness World Record because they changed they changed the kind of criteria midway through so it's a bit difficult but what? <laughs> yeah <laughs> people you know people know he sort of holds that record um, anyway he um, so some friends of mine they said to me during 2012 they said um Oh, our friend's just finishing this amazing, you know, world world cycle race around, and he's finishing in London. He'll be finishing. Do you want to come down and you know meet him? And I was like, yeah, yeah, great. And then I didn't go for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> anyway, next year we did meet, um, and you know, obviously got on well and um, became a couple. And um, yeah, Mike, after he'd done the world cycle race, after he'd been a part of it. Um, he not only did he race it, but um, because of sort of some stuff that happened while they were sort of um, 
um, putting the race on, you know, or they were developing it and things, he ended up sort of helping to organize it. So while he was racing, he was like, oh, I could do this. I could, <laughs> I could make an event. Um, and so, yeah, basically he sort of thought about it a lot during 2012 while he was, I mean, you've got a lot of time to Cycling. think. Cycling. <laughs> <laughs> How long did that take him, by the way? That's a question. Um, I've got it written down somewhere. Like four months? No, like something like um, just over a, a month. I think oh, was... really? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to embarrass myself now. I'll have to let you know. I can't remember. Oh, okay. So he wow. smashed the record of the previous um, person because because it was often more of a touring record. Um, Mike was oh, one okay. of the first people to kind of do it with a more race bike setup, bike packs, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it was, he was kind of one of the pioneers, really, of bikepacking. Um, and yeah, so... 2012 he was thinking about doing it by 2013 the summer of 2013 the first TCR happened he put it on so um I I didn't I don't think we sort of knew each other at that point um but by the second event um in 2014 um I we were you know together spending a lot of time together and things and basically in order to spend time with my boyfriend I was like well I better yeah. kind of get involved in this thing because yeah. yep. <laughs> you know he worked a full-time job and you know put on this huge race which is in effect a full-time job so um yeah. I started helping him and then you know just it just grew from there really um and then of course when he died um yeah wow. stepped into the shoes and took 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 the reins and took it forward yeah oh my god that must have been a devastating time for you like were you yeah. over in Australia at the time like no uh, I was in the UK I was in the UK um yeah it was awful <laughs> obviously wow. yeah it was absolutely awful but you know in a way um deciding deciding to put the race on the year he died was a difficult decision mm -hmm. um, required a lot of soul searching and was you know it was a difficult decision to decide to do it but once we had decided to do it, it was actually quite a healing thing to do yeah because uh, a bunch of us came together and worked together and mm -hmm. you know it was friends and yeah it was was a good way to use our energy and um, yeah yeah it was a healing thing in the end just to do it in, in his honor to keep it going it's what he yeah. would wanted all those things oh I'm getting all <laughs> I'm too sensitive oh, so so moving forward like I can imagine um I would just love for you to share some of the logistics of okay so let's for all of our listeners talk about how they can get involved because I imagine not anybody can do this like is there a criteria to get in um, when is a registration? How much? And then we're then and then I'm going to ask you all the other fun things about being a race organizer. I'm a race organizer myself. Here, something much smaller, a little time trial. <laughs> it's one and done in in like a matter of hours. But um, yeah, tell us about like who can do it. 
is there criteria, registration, all that? Yeah. I mean, this year is a little different. Um, obviously, COVID 19 has kind of put a spring on the works for everybody for all sorts yeah. of different reasons and no different for us. Um, so, we usually um, advertise the event in November. Mm -hmm. um, so for the for the following year, so we um, advertise the kind of race locations because those change every year. One of the oh really okay is it's never um, it's never a set it's never a sort of set um, start that again <laughs> that location <laughs> the, like set start one of the key things about the race is that it isn't a set route race so um, riders have to navigate uh, plan and navigate their own route across okay Europe. we do give them locations that they have to go to obviously otherwise somebody would just go for checkpoints so that's our checkpoints yeah okay so we have our checkpoints and then riders can navigate their own route between those checkpoints oh okay and we change the location of those checkpoints every year so in effect it's a different thing uh, every year right okay so everybody starts together and they have a set so set checkpoints which that makes sense to make sure everybody's still on the course <laughs> you know and then there's a finish yeah uh, like it's a, a different finish every time so is that always change too start and finish um ah. mostly we have um we have started in a little town in belgium called hiradsburg and a few years running um mm -hmm. because it hosts what a really famous um spring classics climb um or it was historically always in the spring classics um a cobbled climb that is just really beautiful and it's such a it's a great little town it's such a friendly kind of welcoming place that you know it's it's difficult to leave somewhere when it's so nice <laughs> so mm -hmm. friendly and you have such a great start so yeah yeah for sure um, we're actually returning there this year um so we'll be starting in Hiradsbergen again but apart from that we tend to try and change um the locations every year um yeah. sometimes we've come across a real special place and you know we're like mm -hmm. we've got to go back there it was so amazing so yeah um but we try and keep it um fresh and interesting and, and it's a different race every year so wow okay so you start in belgium and it's a race across europe so where are some of the checkpoints um, so this year they'll be starting in uh, Belgium um, and they'll be heading straight across Germany um, into the Czech Republic. Um, oh. That's a kind of new direction for us. We've often had the riders sort of heading south into France, um, but okay. now they'll be going sort of due east um, over into the Czech Republic um, to an area called Krupka, if I'm saying it right, I'm not sure. You're probably better than me. <laughs> <laughs> um that's a sort of mountainous location with um there isn't uh like one big climb but we'll be sending the riders through um a kind of sort of mountainous area with a little bit of off-roading so that will mm -hmm. be interesting for them and it's a really beautiful area um then they'll be heading almost due south um and they'll be heading into the italian alps 
Okay. Um, so they'll be actually doing a section of the Stelvio. They'll probably do that. They'll probably have to do a section of the Stelvio, but that's <laughs> one of a key element of our race. Um, the actual control point will be at um, Paso Gavia, which is a fairly well-known uh, climb for cyclists in Italy. Um, and then after that, they've got a long stretch where they head south uh, to Montenegro, which um, there's um, mm -hmm. a really beautiful national park called the Dermator National Park. Um, and that's our third race location. Wow. So it's a long, it's a long route um, between Italy and Montenegro. Um, and they can't use a ferry, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be nice. <laughs> Just second, you're missing a whole section on Strava. Oh, yeah. Where is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after that, they um, sort of head north um, or, well, uh, northeast um, through Serbia and into Romania. Um, and then um, real big climbs in Romania to do this. There's two quite famous roads. One's the Transalpina and one's Transvagarasan. Um, so we have been to the Transfagarasan previously, so this year we're going to go for the Transalpina. And then they finish on the um, Black Sea coast in um, Bulgaria. <gasps> wow. So we That's actually like... um, advertised places for that race, TCR number eight, for that, in effect, that race. The routes changed a little bit um, in 2019 just before a global yeah. pandemic obviously yeah. <laughs> um, which put a spanner in the works for us you know very isn't been very unclear whether we could put the race on safely you know we were yeah because you're passing into so many different countries right everybody's got something different going on exactly before the sort of covid passports happened mm -hmm. it was just so unclear about how people were going to get through anywhere um so you know, regretfully, we postponed it in 2020. And then again, we did it, we postponed it again in 2021. So oh, no. everybody who signed up has been waiting <laughs> for two years. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, at least they've been doing lots of time to extra get ex some extra training in. <laughs> exactly. No excuses. <laughs> so how many people do you take for, let's just talk about the transcontinental, because it's the longest and the hardest. How many people do you take for that? Um, we've got about 300 um, places on the race. Um, we oversubscribe a little bit so that right. because we know some people will inevitably drop out, all sorts of things happen over a year that mean you end up not being able to do what you planned. So we oversubscribe. Uh -huh. We don't operate a waiting list. We found it's a lot less work for us as organisers to to do it with a sort of oversubscription and mm -hmm. then we're not wasting time operating this waiting list we can actually spend right. time making the race better which is right better use of our time so do you have requirements because you can't just let anybody do this because then no, you'd be haven't, we have an application system so what we do is we open applications um, and those are for people to let us know what their experience is, um, you know, what they've done before. Uh, in effect, you don't have to have done one of these races before. We don't have no qualifiers because, you know, we don't want it to be elitist. Um, mm -hmm. But 
we do need to you know trust that people know how to look after themselves out on a multi-day adventure so yeah maybe you've never raced before but you could be very experienced at going out three mm-hmm. four days out on the road and you've not raced like that before but if you know how to look after yourself then we trust that you'll be able to you know just it's just another step isn't it to the racing you know yeah, yeah. Your training and knowing your body you know being able to manage handle and keep yourself safe out on the road those are the sort of key elements to being able to you know survive an adventure if you like like that one so <laughs> what are the key things that you look for in those subscriptions in those uh, registrations because i imagine you would say uh not really going to qualify and this one is okay so you probably sift through them and then and if they make it in then they're charged on their credit card and they know that (laughs) they're in and this is it you gotta start training and so what are the what are the key things that you really look for to make you feel good about that person that they can they're a good qualifier or good candidate yeah um so we have various um so we have some sort of ambitions for the race um we really want to uh, make the race as diverse and inclusive as we can make it so we ask people to let us know about their ethnicity and their gender um we want to know those things about races because i'm sure you know racing in uh, cycling in general is quite a masculine especially cycle racing is quite a, mm-hmm. a masculine sport um we have a lot more men applying than women so mm-hmm. um at the moment if you're a woman and you apply to race you unless you submit a terrible application form <laughs> <laughs> you, you are in gonna get a place on the race if you if we believe that you know what you're doing and you understand the race mm-hmm. you're in um you know the same with people who let us know about their ethnicity you know and countries that are underrepresented so we obviously were based in Europe so we get a lot of and we're a British uh, company yeah. so we get a lot of British and European applicants but we don't get mm-hmm. left from other parts of the world so you know we we're trying to create a, a race that's globally diverse so we want right good um and we have clear rules uh, obviously for our race race has to have rules um and so what we do in the application form is we ask a load of questions that kind of mm-hmm. try to miss it whether you understand what we've told you the race is about um because it's an unsupported race and we have mm-hmm. a lot of eyes physically on you 24 7 checking you're not cheating we want to be trying to find out how um how much this this applicant cares about being honest and being you know mm-hmm. uh, racing a fair race you know and so you don't have gps on them yeah we do have gps on them yeah oh okay well then they that kind of takes but there's all care. sorts of things that you can you know potentially uh, get away with so you know right. what we're trying to do is is find out if somebody um believes in what we're trying to achieve with this race mm-hmm. which is genuinely find out the fastest person across Europe not find the person who's willing to do whatever it takes including cheating to be the first we want to find you know oh. the genuine honest yes person across Europe that's what we want to do wow okay so how much does this cost 
so normally it costs uh, £350, British pounds. Um, okay. It's a little higher this year because um, of COVID and in order to kind of, we've what we've done throughout the years in order to try and make the race happen, we've had to kind of redesign the race every year. Mm -hmm. So in effect, we've, you know, I've been working and I have bills to pay. So <laughs> we've had to spend some money. Um, so, yeah, so, but, you know, um, most years it's under £400 for the ticket to race, which isn't, is not a huge amount. No. Compared okay. to what it would like, cost you to actually do the race, you know, with all your travel and food and. Right, right. It, even like a, it's about the, well, for Canadian, for a Canadian, it'd be the same as an Ironman race because there's a, like $900. Crazy. Yeah. But yeah, we're, uh, we're a not-for-profit company, so we were set up when Mike died to preserve Mike's legacy. You know, we're not mm -hmm. any profit for anybody. You know, we we make enough to pay ourselves an all right, mm -hmm. you know, normal wage, and we pay. We obviously have sponsorship and stuff, and you know, we have those deals. But really, we're here to to make a race that we believe in and we care about, and um, preserve Mike's legacy. Yeah. So is this a full time? job for you yep we have both of these we have two i've just um got a new um, co colleague um so david's just started with me so um yeah we we both work between full-time and part-time depending on and then right. obviously when the race is on um mm -hmm. 24 7 <laughs> right okay so let's talk about the race because i was asking you um how long people take to finish 4,000 kilometers <laughs> so yeah incredibly the fastest will take between nine and ten days if you can that, believe it that no I can't believe it <laughs> that is uh, so that's like really like 24 7 like very little sleep this yeah. person and enjoying the scenery I <laughs> no stopping for pictures this person is on a mission. And so what about the longest? Mm, yeah, the longest, um, I'd say like, you know, the, the people uh, who are towards the back of the race, they might take up to four weeks potentially. Um, I'd say most people finish. Um, we have, um, we usually have a party after 15 days of racing we have a party at the finish and yeah. for most people that's their kind of like they really want to make it not necessarily to party but it's kind of like the in effect yeah the I don't want to be out there forever this is a good 15 so okay now say those people who are lagging behind like two three weeks is do you try so how do you know? So I guess you must be watching them on GPS and going, okay, they're getting close to the finish. Now we should get out and celebrate them coming in. Cause there's, you know what it's like when you're at the back of the race, you show up and everybody's packed up and you're like, uh, what? <laughs> where is everybody? Where's the beer? <laughs> you, know, like, you know, they hand you the beer and you cross the finish line. You're like, yeah, oh, this is why I race. <laughs> Yeah, well, unfortunately, we can't afford to stay in, yeah. I mean, if I could afford to stay on, you know, in Burgas and sit 
by the beach and just have some beers to hand out I definitely would but um you know after after 15 days after the party the race you know operators our volunteers all the team we have to go home Mm -hmm. and then you know but often people will be finishing you know for a good few days after that and their friends and family will be out there other riders who you know just finished the day before we usually go to the finish line and have a beer for them so you know it doesn't it's not like there's just nobody um okay. maybe our team have to go home but you know it's it's such a friendly nice community and people know you don't want to finish and no one to be there you know so other riders will do that for each other you know they know they know how lovely it is to have somebody there to sort of share a few stories with over a beer and and yeah and people want to do that for each other so mm-hmm. um and I don't know if you've seen the Trans Am you know that that's really the finish of the Trans Am is you know mm-hmm. at, at the monument people are just there with a couple of beers and a little yeah, chat know, the beer just go home to sleep I can imagine as a cyclist you don't want to go very far to <laughs> after riding that just sit around let let your body recover. Um, so navigation. Now you mentioned that there's checkpoints. So when do they get the route? Is it when they're accepted, you automatically then send the route so they can start planning their like their strategy as to um, how they're going to um, uh, bike from point to point? Um, what we do is we provide the kind of um, rough outline of the race so the actual control points um, that's kind of public when we launch the route so in Mm -hmm. November we'll be like this is TCR number eight and here are the key locations for the route so that gives okay so that's public yeah that gives people an idea like do I want to go to these places do I want to do a race that will go to these places you know is for whatever reason you know Mm -hmm. um and then um if they decide they want to apply that's when you'll get given the race manual um so what during our application system you you pay a small amount and we'll send you the race manual and that's great a lot of information in it so that's got all about our rules our expectations what you can expect from us mm-hmm. you know, detail about more detail about the locations and then throughout the year we'll kind of add the fine detail to that so um so maybe you know in november we haven't actually booked the hotel that we're going to feature as our as our let, right. as our control point but you know by april you'll know exactly where that's going to be so people right. are, will be able to, people can kind of create a rough outline of their route very early on. And then, you know, as, as the sort of year goes on, they'll be sort of working on the finer detail of that. And we'll be able to provide more details by April. They should know everything. Um, right. So that's when they can really kind of finalize their route and make sure that they're there's not going to be any surprises for them on the route because um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah so do you as as a race organizer go and scout out like the route and you know because there might be some place like definitely do not ride here and here's like you know that kind of thing um we go you have time for that we can't do the whole route because um people are going to choose different routes so right that would 
the impossible. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but we do go to the locations uh, that we're going to set the um, race at. So the control point mm -hmm. locations, we go there. I've got to say for during global pandemic years, um, one location we, we've not been to, but I worked with a local cyclist who gave us loads of advice and kind of, um, you know, basically was our consultant um, for choosing mm -hmm. the right routes in that location. So I feel really confident that we've got a good safe route. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, over the years of having uh, put on this race, we've obviously, you know, learnt various tunnels in Europe that we don't want riders to go through and you know so we get to sort of build our information um and then so anything that we want to prohibit on the race riders will know that as well um there's just there's a couple of like most like say a really long tunnel without any natural lighting or even yeah. like without any um side thing or um, a shoulder to ride on or shoulders yes there's a few of those um that are prohibited that are not like that are legal for cycling most of them wouldn't be legal for cycling you know they're just you know the country themselves say you know this isn't safe to cycle and you can't cycle there and there'll right. be a sign but right. um if if they are legal for cycling but we don't agree that they should that they should they're safe right. enough um mm -hmm. we will prohibit them right yeah. but most of the time it all we say is you know you have to abide by the mm. local rules you know rules of the road and the and the laws in that country you have to know and abide by those um and you know cycle as you would at any other time you know you need to be taking good care of yourself keeping yourself healthy um alert you know you are yeah and we do know that but nothing is worth risking your safety for so if you ever feel that you're not safe you should be stopping and sleeping or eating or taking a break yeah. or whatever you need to do to make sure you're safe because not only are you obviously that's not safe but you know if you're not operating at good capacity you're not also you're not going to be able to win a race like that either so yeah um, I don't know if I go out to win but <laughs> <laughs> I'd be the scenic cyclist because I was looking at, like I said, I was looking at some of the pictures and I'm like, oh my God, this is just like the most amazing way to see a lot of the countryside. How many countries are you going through? Mm, oh my uh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I think of them all. So we'll be Belgium, Germany, Czech Republic. Uh, they'll be back in Germany again. Uh, they're not going to France this year. Italy, um, Slovakia, Croatia. Bosnia, Serbia, Romania. I think it's 10. Yeah. Wow. Um, oh okay. my gosh. Um, I know my girl, my girl choose different routes and stuff, but mm -hmm. yeah, more or less. There might be some Hungary in there. <laughs> so, and all these countries are safe. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> Obviously, right now. <laughs> um, Bosnia at the moment, we've got our eye on the political situation in Bosnia at the moment. Um, we we may be, we, we are looking at an alternative location if we have to move um, right. one of our controls. So we, we always have an eye on what's happening, obviously. Um, we have a lot of rules around where people can cycle in Romania. Um, okay. One of the things about cycling in Romania is 
they don't really have many like highways um, or like motorways is what we call them here, mm -hmm. like multi-lane roads. They don't really have many of those. So people drive on single lane or, or you know, two lanes, but effectively single lane one each way. They yeah. drive, you know, like huge lorries and stuff drive very, very fast on those roads. Um, so there are certain roads that, that really don't feel very safe to be a cyclist. Um, right. So again, we worked with a local um, Romanian cyclist who's, um, he used to have a business um, operating cycle tours in Romania. Oh, okay. He offered us some really useful advice. Um, we've also been there a couple of times ourselves now. So we've got some really kind of clear rules for our riders about where and where, where they can ride and where they can't ride in Romania. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, we try not to dictate too much to our riders you know we right. want them to do research they're the experts they know how they race best you know maybe they are a climber and you know they really want to kind of do the direct route that's that's got a lot more elevation because that's their kind of strength oh so it's not necessarily four thousand kilometers like you can chop off yeah. some mileage right route you can reduce that oh okay and also I got the, it. whatever suits you as well you know somebody's going to be so a lot over the hill or around the mountain over the mount yeah okay I got it <laughs> uh, so okay uh-huh <laughs> it makes it really interesting when you're watching when you're watching like the big the big oh can you can you watch that live and watch the gps of everybody oh my god that's so cool when I, I was telling you, I used to adventure race and um, they would put GPS on us. And like when I would watch my friends race, it's just like, it's like, where are they going? You know, you see somebody going off here. And, <laughs> oh, that's great. So that's good to know. So whether you're participating or not, uh, if you're not participating, you can watch live and always go back and check as to where people are. And that's a really cool feature um, for racing these days. It's uh, I think probably the last 10, 15 years, they've added that uh, feature for, for events that are multi-day. Um, so you can always come back and uh, can, you, can you send messages as well on that platform or is it just watching like the, um, the map? No, I don't think so. We're actually, um... I don't think you can, um, but we have we have a Facebook group, Transcontinental um, okay. Race Facebook group that we invite not just riders to be part of, but friends and family. So we often find that like people are chatting to each other on there, less oh, the riders. Okay. They're busy cycling, right, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you'll get friends and family kind of like, you know, it's really nice place for them to be during the race because they can, you know, for some people, it's quite a scary experience for their loved one to be out, you know, on such a kind of wild adventure. And it's uh -huh. really nice for them to be able to interact with people who are perhaps a bit more experienced and, you know, they can ask each other questions and stuff. So um, that's a really kind of nice space to be during the race. Yeah. So for training, I don't know, do you offer up suggestions and, um, also, okay, let me just start with that training. Do you offer <laughs> up suggestions? Cause I could just go and ask like three different questions all at once. We don't. Um, but what we tend to do <laughs> is hold like panel discussions with some of our most oh. races. 
Um, and again, in our Facebook group, um, some of our more experienced racers are mentors. So you can sign up to have a mentor and ask them questions. And um, oh, okay. we also have like a podcast um, where, you know, we interview riders and things. So um, that's usually during the race. But, you know, there's there's as the, we do more and more races, the kind of um, knowledge base that you can access right. really kind of increases. Um, uh -huh. And in these days, you know, people like James Hayden or Fiona, you know, winners of the race, um, Josh Ibert, they have blogs, they have, you know, mm -hmm. ways that you can kind of learn from them. So um, if you're interested, it doesn't take much searching on the internet and you can find some really good advice from other people. Right. So what is like the average kilometers per day? Well, God, I guess we can't say per day because they're, well, I guess, what are the average kilometers somebody would travel in a 24 hour period? Um, in order to get to the finit to the control points, because um, because it's a race, we have a closing time for each control point. So it opens. Right. When oh, you do have a check. So okay. Just now that you said that. So anybody who arrives. Okay. So you have cutoffs. Yeah. So what we do with the race, we have kind of you can finish the race in two categories. You can finish the okay. race as a finisher which right. means you've got to the finish. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you finished in time. Um, no, you've just got to the finish. Or oh. you can finish in time, which means you're in general classification. Oh, um, okay. We have two classifications. You can race as a solo racer or you can race as a pair. You can race oh. with a partner. Um, so for some people, that's a really nice way to sort of do the race for a first time because you don't, mm -hmm. you're not on your own, you know, um, on the other hand, you know, perhaps it's a bit more difficult because you've got to manage two people's differing kind of mm -hmm. uh, behavior mm -hmm. during a race and sleep patterns and everything like that. So I wouldn't always can say you, it's easier, but can you might, start together and not finish together? <laughs> you, I mean, people do. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> but you can't, you're not finished in your classification in that case, you'd be a finisher. Right. Um, we have a control point cutoff time, so um, you have to be uh, you have to ride roughly around 240 kilometers a day to get to our control point cutoff time, um, and that's the time where we're not there to kind of uh, we have brevet cards, so we're not there to kind of put a stamp in your brevet card and give you a time. Um, if you arrive after that time you know, you can still make it to the finish and you'll still be a finisher, but you're not in general classification at that time. Okay. But, you know, that's, it's obviously still a very impressive thing to finish the transcontinental. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's not for like sure. we're going like, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, anybody who finishes, anybody who starts, you know, it's incredibly impressive. So yeah, there's um, nobody's kind of um, dismissing anything, you know, it's, Oh, I know. I can imagine like whether you're, you're in contention, I'm not going to say DNF, but not, uh, uh, yeah, like you said, you're not in, in qualification. You are just like you finished. Um, and even if you've had to scratch, you know, on a 4,000 kilometer race, you know, if something's happened and you've had to, you've had to quit your race for whatever, you know, you've got an injury, or a mechanical that you just can't afford or can't manage to fix in time. Right. Happen, you know, um, 
we always say to those people, if you want to come to the finish, to the party, everybody's welcome. You know, please come. You can travel. You can get a bus or you know, <laughs> you're still, still going to make it there. <laughs> yeah. You can still come to the finish. You can even, you know, get a bus some other way and ride some other way. You know, whatever it is, you know, um, people, lots of people scratch on the race that, you know, that's just the nature of it. Um, but it, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything apart from like it just wasn't your time. <laughs> Well, you can't, yeah, you can't control things that you can't control. Like, especially if you get a serious mechanical in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> you just got to make it to the next town and uh, see if you can get some help. And then yeah. time flies and you just can't yeah. get, you can't make it up. Yeah, I can see that. Or yeah, where you have an accident or, or just like a little crash or something. But uh, so now with the trans Pyrenees, like I think I've, I think I've asked all the questions that I need to know about that were like at the top. So basically the same, is it the same process for the trans Pyrenees? Cause it's much shorter. Um, you have a qualification um, or it, or are there more people that come out for that one? Um, well, for the trans, Continental, because it's more well known and you know such a long way, we're always really heavily oversubscribed for that race. Oh, so okay. for that race, we might get kind of anything between six hundred and eight hundred people applying for that race. Wow. Whereas we only have three hundred places to offer. Um, mm -hmm. So what we usually do is, um, you know, we we go through all the applications and read everything. Um, and then everybody who's eligible, um, we put into a ballot and then it's luck of the draw if you get a place or not. Um, oh, okay. The Trans Pyrenees, we're not in that position most years at the moment. So we still, we have around 200 people racing. Um, so there's opportunities to race. Um, we're gonna be able to offer some, we're offering some of those at the moment actually. So for anyone interested currently this week, you can apply for that place. <laughs> Get some, uh, get some, get some extra people in there. <laughs> um, yeah, I know because it's like mostly climbing. Not everybody's all like not everyone's cup of tea into the fun. climbing. Yeah, no, this yeah. is definitely one for people who love the mountains and love climbing because um, it's just that it's just up and down and then up and down and up and down and then a lot more. So um, it's quite. It's, I think I go for distance myself. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite intense. I think some people kind of entered it, you know, um, 2019 was our inaugural, inaugural year um, for that race. So this will be our second, um, okay. second, a second time doing that race. Mm -hmm. um, again, we change, we change the race locations. It's a very similar setup, um, but it's in a smaller right. area of um, the world, obviously. Um, it's as it's in the Pyrenees, it's France, Spain, and and Andorra, which is a principality in the middle. Um, and um, yeah, it's we yeah we change the control points each year, so they'll go to somewhere a bit different. So we try and mm -hmm. kind of keep it as interesting as we can. But obviously, you know, it's a much smaller lo locality, so. Um, lots of it's very similar but um right I guess you don't have as much to play with like you know there's only a certain amount of routes to 
You can go forward and backwards, and <laughs> this side from that side and that side. <laughs> so what we do is we start uh, um, on the Bay of Biscayne and then they cycle out to the opposite coast and then they cycle back again. So we start and finish in the same place. Oh, so okay. Just... So that makes it a bit better for logistics. Yeah. Yes. That makes it easier for us. And um, yeah, obviously twice as hard because you've got to do it all twice. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I guess, yeah. So I was thinking it was like a big, well, I guess it's a big loop. Yeah. So yeah. this year we're mostly spending on the way out, just mostly spending your time in, in the South, in Spain. And then on the way back, um, we take in quite a lot of the kind of more famous French climbs, um, like the Tourmalet and, you know, oh, so wow. yeah, that are quite well known. So. So do you have the same cutoffs for this one? Yeah, it's set up very similar. Yeah. So right. So you have as much as time as you need to finish it. But so the fastest ones do this and how many don't tell me three days like three days it's about four days four days <laughs> yeah, it's about four those days. are the real lovers of hills yeah right yeah. there <laughs> uh thomas uh our winner from 2019 he um he actually came off um i'm not sure what caused it's a long time ago now so i can't remember quite what caused it but he actually fell off his bike and finished the race um we think possibly with a hairline fracture in his shoulder oh um he finished and he was clearly in a lot of pain and you know it's kind of hunched over um and yeah I think he he told us you know when he got home he was like oh yeah I actually broke my shoulder <laughs> that's one of those when you you're biking like this you know, fall over you know, so you're yeah. so tired yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had yeah. that happen but but I not mean a, in, not... there's different things there's different things so the Pyrenees we find like there's there's a lot more interaction with like wildlife and or not just oh. and farm animals as well so like um you get a lot of like up in the mountains there's not a lot of kind of fences to hold uh -huh. in the sheep and the cows so they'll just wander across the road or horses even just kind of wander across the road and so if you're not if you're not really looking um people have people have you know come into contact <laughs> with the oh. wildlife um there's wild and oh of, yeah all sorts of wildlife as well so yeah there's there's different things to be mindful of um there's less traffic okay. I think in the Pyrenees than than you probably come across when you're racing on the transcontinental you're mm -hmm. much more likely to be on quiet roads without traffic um, yeah but the flip side is you're more likely to come into contact with some animals <laughs> <laughs> so. I would never have thought that but I suppose if you're going downhill you might want to go down yeah. in a very controlled manner you never know who's going to step out on the, the side of the road yeah <laughs> dogs <laughs> wow oh my gosh so anna this is like it's amazing i love this <laughs> and if things weren't the way they were right now i'd almost consider it <laughs> because calling up my friend Michelle and say hey you want to do this not together because I think you're right like as a team is kind of not but you can ride alongside each other and support each other without being a team and I think that's probably the best way to go at it 
And then if somebody has an idea, well, I want to stay here longer, then you're like, okay, well, I'll see you at the, the finish line or next somewhere down the road or whatever. But well, uh, be careful with that because we do have uh, rules about riding solo. But uh, yeah, you can, you know. I what do you mean? Um, well, so when you're racing the transcontinental, if you're racing solo, mm -hmm. you have to prove with your tracker that you're in effect racing on your own. So if you spend too much time with another rider, um, we'd be oh, we'd have oh really, time. yeah, huh, <laughs> really, yeah, because it's an unsupported solo. Well, unless you're in a pair, if you're in a, mm -hmm. that's why we have the pairs category because that's what you're doing. Right. But um, otherwise, we're quite strict about you being unsupported. Um, whereas, and so there's also elements like. I don't know if you're aware, like the Trans Am have a kind of quite an open um, relation or a, a sort of an open, um, they're quite open to trail angels and things like that. Whereas on the transcontinental where we're a lot more like strict about you being unsupported and not really accepting um, support. If you're, if you're racing, if you wanna be in general classification, you wanna take the race really seriously. We're actually quite strict about what you can um what you can take from other people and in what manner and things like that oh really mm. like you can't stay over at somebody's house say um, <laughs> if somebody so, offered you to yeah well, you if they're can... not your friend um so for example if you want to finish the race and right. you know you're there's a trail angel and they you know they offer you to stay for the night at their home if you're just interested in finishing we will be like, okay, well, as long as you don't know that person, they, they're not your friend and you haven't arranged this in advance, that's okay. However, oh, okay. if you're serious about racing and you want to be in GC, you're, it's in your interest not to have us be suspicious of that. So okay. it's in your interests to only really use like hotels or a bivy. Oh, okay, okay. So you can use hotels. And, and most of them, I was going to ask, travel with, a tent and like a yeah, full pack usually yeah. yeah yeah okay so so you can't like travel in a pack like if you no. kind of ride end up coming on up to someone and spending time with them and then that's, well, what we that's say discouraged is you know if you want to spend like 45 minutes to an hour riding together and chatting fine and obviously if you're riding a similar route and um at a similar speed the chances mm -hmm. are you might meet each other a couple of times on the race yeah um, that's okay but you know the chances are of you riding exactly the same pace is pretty slim so there's a point where you're not just riding together for 45 minutes and chatting there's a point where you've decided to sort of in effect ride together and support each other and so oh, that's okay. that's where we're trying to draw the line in that, yeah, we don't want you to be unfriendly and not to be able to say hello to each other or share a meal or whatever. But, you know, if, say, for example, over two days, you've always started together, you've always stopped for lunch together, your track right. is in the same place. Because so I can see like, you. I have these, everybody, <laughs> it's like, oh, look at these guys. They found it. And OK, yeah. Got it. And if you're not interested in GC and you've met maybe potential love of your life and you're like, well, I don't care about this anymore. <laughs> I, like this I want to finish the race with them. 
great you know we're not stopping you all we all we do is pull you out of gc and you know you would finish and then hopefully go off and marry and have happy ever after you know we're not um we're certainly not trying to dictate decisions about people's lives but within <laughs> the race we have some rules and we're quite clear about how you how you race within the rules but beyond if you you know if you're people might people sometimes ask us about this in terms of like offering support to another rider if you see they maybe you come across another rider and they've broken a part of their bike is broken mm-hmm. example on the side of the road now to stay in gc and to be seriously racing they can't borrow any of your tools and you can't help them fix their bike Oh. If, if you and they want to stay together in the both of you want to stay in the race you can't help each other you can't accept help and you can't offer help however what we do say okay. because we're not affecting your life we're just <laughs> the race what we do say is that person's on the side of the road they've clearly got a problem say you know are you okay would you like some help and they could go yes please i'd really like some help and then you'd say okay well i can help you but that means you'd have to, you know, provide your own stuff, your own gear. No, it means that you would have to say you're not racing anymore in effect. (gasps) Really? Oh, that's that like the good Samaritan in me just kind of like racing and supported because the, the idea is when you get to the finish, Mm -hmm. the person who's raced a truly unsupported race, who's not accepted any help off anybody, they've done it all by themselves there needs to be a way to differentiate that person to somebody who couldn't do that for whatever reason, they just couldn't do it and they needed help. So you can't say that you raced the same race as that person because you accepted help. So that's differentiator. So we're not saying you see somebody at the side of the road and you just go, oh, well, I'm not going to even stop because, you know, because that's obviously a terrible thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a race. We'd like you to obviously be a human being, go up to that person <laughs> and say, are you okay? And then it's up to them, you know, have the discussion. Do you want to, do you want my help? Are you, are you willing to accept that that means you're not going to finish this race as a, you know, in, in GC? Oh, okay. The person who needs help yeah. will have to make the decision that they are no longer in a GC race, but you, the helper can still stay yeah true okay okay got it. everybody got know, that everybody got especially that especially if somebody's um you know really badly needs help and and you really need to be there you know that will affect your race time so you can if you have evidence of that and you can you know report that to us mm-hmm. then you know we'd be able to affect the race times afterwards so you know it's not you know I mean, I think that if some anybody saw somebody in in serious trouble, any yeah. idea their race would go out of their mind, and you just think about that person. Um, but obviously, if you're then able to continue racing, um, we would, you know, you would be able to contact us, and we could be able to sort of talk about that and how we manage that within the race. Right. So you do. You, so everybody still gets to use. there's an i don't know uh, ambulance like that that i mean like can help some 
somebody's um, if there's, that's like something serious happened I mean we don't have like a helicopter or anything yeah like I, I know but if it's you know yeah. if somebody's on we the side of the road and they had an accident yeah then they'd have to phone the emergency services I mean those are the right. emergency services would have to be the ones that help them we yeah, don't yeah. have helicopters and doctors and things like that because <laughs> it's 400 pounds to enter the race not yeah I know I know um but you know we can obviously uh support in whatever way we can Mm -hmm. and the main thing that I was sort of trying to talk about then was you know within the race so yeah if if you've ended up stopping to help somebody to phone the emergency services to make sure that they get off in a you know you wait with them until they've taken off the hospital and things um you maybe you have obviously phone does to let us know so that we can get in touch with their next of kin mm-hmm. then you know you might say to us right I've been here for three hours can you record that for oh, me? okay and right we I got it their race time when they finish um, wow so all right you don't want people to feel like that they can't be <laughs> being to enter this yeah. <laughs> but I got it I get I understand those rules that's good and uh, it's good to differentiate like those for for everyone so all right to our listeners who is gonna go for this event and get on to the transcontinental the second the web um the website i'm just looking for it yeah transcontinental.cc that is where you can go and check out more details register talk with your partner say you want to do something epic this summer and and you may not be able to do it this summer but oh that's right everything's almost full think about it for next summer and then you can do the hilly one if you want to do the hilly one yeah then and that's in now yeah that's in (laughs) september so you got more time to go and train on some of the massive hills or go go and find some to do some training on. So with that, Anna, uh, this is so amazing. So make sure you follow. We got Instagram, the Transcontinental and um, Trans Pyrenees. So make sure you go and follow those. Check them out. Follow um, Anna. Are you on Instagram as well, personally? Or are you uh, just? Yeah, I'm. I'm Ride Eat Make is my. Uh, Ride is my... Eat Make. Okay. I don't think I'm following you. Hold on. I'm just going to write that down. We, um, that was, I called it that when, uh, when we first started working together, Mike and I, so we were kind of, um, thinking about whether we would do some holidays and things and I'm an artist. So I was going to offer, um, some art courses and things, but, um, running two massive bike races ended up taking all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, maybe we should have you back and to talk about your uh, your 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 other passions besides <laughs> this race <laughs> that affects cycling. So you got Anna's. Mine is Sylvie Dew underscore cyclist, and make sure you follow the podcast Secrets from the Saddle podcast, as well as make sure you share this with someone um, and also give us a good review and five stars. Thank you so much, Anna. This has been really informational and, you know, just super piques my interest. 
for next year. <laughs> I'll put that on my calendar for next November to start scouting out because that's usually when us, you know, who are organizers are like, like to organize our year. November's the time to start looking at all these like really cool, interesting uh, events for the following year and to start, you know, putting together some cool uh, destination travels with the family. Yeah, you can come to Europe <laughs> and see me race. And <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe I'll have to travel. Decide. Yeah, yeah. You'll see me before the race, not after, because I'll be dysfunctional. <laughs> with that, thank you so much, everyone. And thank you again, Anna. This has been amazing. I wish everybody have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review, if you feel so moved, by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment, telling me what you think, and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.